in Minnesota, if you go to the Department of Agriculture's website, very deep within that infrastructure, there's a somewhat of a list, very basic information, but it's not descriptive of, you know, who they are, what they're selling, where they sell it, where you can buy it. It's very bare bones. But I've been working on a resource called Switchboard Shop, switchboard.shop, that is working towards making cottage food producers and other hyper-local good services and resources more accessible in the communities that they're in. This is We Form the Future, a podcast and radio show that is meant to empower Black voices and our community. I'm your host, and my name is Jasmine. I'm a multidisciplinary artist, creative writer, and public speaker from the Twin Cities of Minnesota. I'm also a believer in the idea that the future is up to us. I believe that we can form the future to support and benefit us for generations to come. And I'm excited, so excited to share with you the inspiring stories and revolutionary ideas in this podcast. Each week on We Form the Future, a different individual or organization will bring us varying perspectives on the Black experience and explore novel approaches to life, art, existing social structures, and new ways to form a better future. We Form the Future is created by WFNU Frogtown Community Radio and funded by the Transformative Black-Led Futures Fund, whose goal is to support those who are responding to the political and cultural opportunity to defund the police and begin the transition process toward developing and implementing a shared vision of community-led safety and investment. We Form the Future is aired on WFNU LP 94.1 FM Frogtown Community Radio in St. Paul every Saturday at 1 p.m. You can learn more about this program by visiting weformthefuture.com. What's up? Welcome back to another episode on We Form the Future. I'm so excited to have you here today because we have a special treat. And I mean, literally, because we are going to be talking about food. On this week's episode, we have Zachary Hurdle, a foodie, aka food entrepreneur, who's passionate about cottage food. It's a way of cooking centered around self-sufficiency and rural practices. And of course, some traditional baking skills because we love a good soft baked good. At least I do. Cottage core was prevalent in the 1900s, meeting its tail end around the 1950s. It's labeled as a practice of white or colonial interest because cottage food was in fact a privilege in these times. But Zachary will be telling us how any one of us can make cottage food and even talks about how we can get started in this industry. So if you're interested in and have never heard of cottage food or cottage core, listen on because he's about to get all into it. And welcome to another episode of We Form the Future. I am your producer for today, Katie, and I am here live in the studio at WFNU with Zachary Hurdle, who is a local food entrepreneur. Hello. Hello, Zachary. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for having me. And Zachary is here today to talk to us about uh, all things food and specifically uh, the cottage food movement, I'll call it That's that. That's right, yes. yeah. So what, what is cottage food? Cottage food is, um, I guess it depends on where you are, but broadly speaking, it's the act of making food uh, from your home. Um, so again, depending on where you are, there are different rules and regulations surrounding where you're allowed to vend that food. But it stems from the need within the community to... Um, 
I guess, allow folks to bake, pickle, ferment, make desserts, um, and sell them to their neighbors. Um, so a lot of folks are really good at baking. You know, there's a lot of really great pickles out there and all of that. Um, but within that, you can also, um, in the state of Minnesota, sell those things at different marketplaces, pop-ups. Um, it just has to be direct from the cottage food producer to the person that they're selling to. Um, yeah. So if are there regulations that people have to go through to become a cottage food producer? Yes. Um, within Minnesota, up until about seven-ish years ago, six or seven years ago, there was not really any regulation around it. There was the, you know, idea that, um, I guess there wasn't any like logistics or tracking around it. So people could just, you know, make whatever, uh, was within reason. Again, those baked goods, those pickles, the ferments and everything. Um, but you didn't have to go through any, uh, registration or anything. You didn't have to pass a test as you do now. Um, you didn't have to pay a fee as you do now. Um, so interestingly enough, there wasn't really, um, public data being tracked around, you know, who is involved, how long they've been involved. Um, and if you approach the department of agriculture, you can only get data up until, you know, the, again, the past six, seven years. Okay. So, uh, what, how did you get started? producing cottage food what's your backstory on, on <laughs> your, or your whole food backstory I guess. yeah no it really it really comes with the whole backstory um i started in food during my time at saint thomas um i was just cooking as you know a college student might just getting involved at like a different food establishment nearby to make some money um i was at tom popo in lower town saint paul um working with koshiki and that's where I really got my start and interest in food as a whole. Um, then is, I moved. That, is that a, a Japanese restaurant? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're closed now. Uh, they're operating a uh, different business, a travel business, but they're still very much involved in food. Um, they were actually running there for, I think, 15 years or oh. so. Yeah, they were definitely a lower town establishment um, right next door to... Uh, black dog I believe yeah but um, from there I worked at Tori Ramen which was right down the street from me um, I figured why wouldn't I want to walk to work um, and I worked there long enough that they trusted me to become sous chef there uh, and that became uh, very difficult it was 60 hour weeks uh, just way too much time for me um, pretty stressful overall and not something I was really looking to do um, in any, you know, semi-permanent way. So I decided to step back, but I still really loved food. And I found out, I'm not sure how I found this out, but I found out about cottage food. And um, my partner at the time, she was really pushing me to just, you know, pursue this so um she helped me like develop my brand and everything get started and all of that and um i guess from there it's history you know since then i've just been doing different pop-ups and uh pursuing other opportunities i um got my 
kitchen manager's license so I can go into different spaces and do uh, more diversified pop-ups, you know, serving hot meals to folks. Um, and, you know, like with right now, I make sushi. Um, before, the, uh, before that, or my pop-ups now, I was at Eureka Compass and doing like a weekly pop-up with them. Um, just sort of doing whatever vegan cooking I was interested in at the time. Yeah. Are you, are you vegan yourself? No. <laughs> <laughs> so do you find it uh, vegan food is something people are more likely to buy? Are there more vegans out there looking for, you know, cottage food? Or is it just kind of that's like your specialty? I think there's definitely a market that's very interested in vegan food and being health conscious. And I think that's becoming more and more popular. But it's not you know, if somebody's looking to indulge and have like a really good baked good or something, um, I'm not sure they're too interested in, you know, uh, making sure that it doesn't have dairy or eggs or anything like that. Um, but the people within the community are really intentional about what they're consuming, um, you know, to the point where uh, gluten-free is also a you know, an increasing concern, not just for um, things like celiac or otherwise, but because it makes you feel good, you know. So um, I found that, you know, just even within my diet over the past two years that I had been working um, in proximity to Eureka Compass and making these things, I became more conscious and aware of what um, not only my needs, but my desires within, like, oh, you know, this food is making me feel good. I'm going to eat more of this. And, um, you know, it's like, why wouldn't I make this meal this way, you know? Yeah. Uh, it's like uh, I've heard uh, the analogy of, you know, your body's like a car. And if you put, like, <laughs> bad gas in your car, it's not going to run well. You know, right. it's like that what you consume, you know, makes your body Absolutely. run. Absolutely the best it can yeah, yeah no. when you first started making uh cottage food for other people mm. what was like your your first go-to things um i think coming from tori mm -hmm. tori ramen i was really into kimchi mm. um i really appreciated their kimchi program you know um and I decided to, I guess this is one of a few things that I was making, but um, sort of riff on the traditional kimchi. You know, you when you think of or see kimchi, it has this reddish-orange hue, um, comes from the gochugaru or Korean chili flakes, and it's sort of iconic, right? Um, so I wanted to riff on the color almost immediately. Um, at this point in time, I wasn't um, making vegan food. Um, I was just getting into the cottage food side of things. So I did things like uh, squid ink kimchi. Mm. Um, there are some recipes that call for like fish sauce, you know, in the kimchi. Um, that's not all of them. Some of them do. Um, I also did a beet kimchi. Um, and my favorite and most successful of any, like, I guess, alternative kimchi was um, lemongrass. Mm -hmm. It was a yellow 
it had a yellow hue to it. Um, so yeah, I did those. And then I eventually got into baking. I was looking to diversify my cooking portfolio, uh, cottage food portfolio. And I started doing things like, you know, lemon bread, banana bread, just sort of really um, typical things, I suppose. Um, I never had like a stand mixer or, you know, any special equipment to do things. So I wasn't really trying to like um, do anything too complex, just keep it simple. Um, but then as I've, I guess, evolved and um, incorporated different things, I found different ways to make my products stand out. So I still today do like a lemon bread, but it's lemon coconut, you know. Um, I still do a banana bread, but it's miso banana bread. And I recently introduced a, another line of breads, uh, mango cardamom. Mm. Um, and they're all like not too sweet. Um, so it's really palatable and um, something different, you know, like not your grandma's banana bread sort of thing. Yeah. So you make, uh, you've made, you made your kimchi and you have like it, it in cans or how do you have it packaged? And then what do you do? Like, where do you go from there? Oh man. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, so I would get my cans from, you know, there's like an Ace Hardware on Grand that like specializes in providing these sorts of goods. Um, Target has them as well. Depending on the quantities, you know, I'll make like a, I don't know how much in bulk at a time, but uh, around like five gallons at a time or so. Um, Just in, I don't know, that sort of quantity. But then I will, it reduces quite a bit. I mean, like the kimchi itself or the cabbage itself starts out at around five gallons in volume. But um, then I'll put it in smaller jars, um, sometimes pint-sized jars. And for a while, I was, or up until very recently, I was handwriting all of my labels, um, a labor of love. And um, from there, well, as I moved into a space like Eureka Compass, I would bring these things with me. Um, and then, you know, if somebody asked, uh, I would sell that to them. I would try to sell it to them, <laughs> you know, either way. Um, but I also incorporated those uh, things into my food um, to get people interested, show them um, any, I guess, uses that they might have for it. Um, I also made apple butter, um, and that often found its way into my foods in different ways for like thickening or um, adding like a subtly sweet note like with something like um, a lot of Korean cuisine has sort of like this sweet interplay like um, there's a cold soup that has like beef tenderloin like Mm. noodles and uh, watermelon mm-hmm. or like a Korean pear or something and um, yeah so uh, now you know with anything I'm making um, I'll try to get my foot in the door at different locations to do pop-ups 
Um, I've been attending a uh, bi-weekly market, the plant-based pop-up market. Um, we've been popping up in uh, a couple different locations in Minneapolis. And sometimes I'll get the uh, occasional order through Instagram or somebody reaching out and saying um, they're interested. And more recently, actually, I got my wholesale license to be able to actually sell to um, physical establishments. Oh, that's great. What's the process of getting a wholesale license? Long winded. (laughs) Um, I. What is the process? Wow. So it just. I I guess for people who are listening that maybe they are, you know, they make really good pies and they want to be able to sell them places. What's the next steps for them? What, do you have any advice to um, get them started in, in the process of selling their their goods? Um, I guess it depends on the level at which you would like to sell them. Um, I guess first things first, if you're not on social media, get on social media. Um, that's, you know, for most food businesses, micro businesses really, that I've seen Instagram is a key tool. Um, there's Facebook too, of course, but Instagram is quite popular for it. And from there, you know, you can start advertising that, you know, you have these things, um, not quite sell anything yet. I mean, you do have to go through the registration process with the state. Um, and that is, it entails on the lower end, which is one to five thousand one dollars in sales um a fifty dollar registration fee on the onset um but free i guess re-registration annually and the passing of a test you know you it's not like an in-person thing all you have to do is go over some literature say that you read it and you're off to the races it's pretty straightforward and basic but if you are selling 5001 to, I believe now it's $78,000, and that amount just increased um, from 18000 so oh, a wow, huge step. Increase, yeah, 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 just in terms of, um, you know, folks who are quite popular, um, you know, now they can make a living off of that sort of thing. It's very exciting. But, yeah, get the registration. Um get on social media and start, you know, talking about what you're making, you know, if you can attend a market, go there. And the registration that uh, you're talking about where you take the test and and pay the the $50 for the the smaller amount Mm -hmm. of income that you're making on these foods, is that, that's through the state of Minnesota? Yes. And is that the wholesale license or that's something completely different? That's cottage food. Cottage yeah. Food, okay. Wholesale is an entirely different beast. Um, it's more akin to, I mean, I'm very intrigued by cottage food because it's, you know, f- food sales were on a spectrum. Cottage food, food would be at one end and wholesale restaurants, caterers, food trucks would be on the other end. Um, they are regulated by the FDA and, um, I mean, also like Department of Health and everything, but there is more rigorous, um, 
examination of your food business, what you're selling, um, where you're selling it, how it's packaged, you know, top to bottom. It's akin to starting a restaurant, yeah. you know. Um, so it's a very rigorous process. Um, it was very nerve-wracking for me, I remember it on. Like, it's, it's a long-winded thing because um, they're busy, you know. Like, they schedule up to two weeks out, and, you know, you have to make sure everything lines up. Um, have some correspondence with them um, on the front end just to get everything in order. They'll get you into the system. Um, and then depending on the size of your business, like for um, just in my experience, um, there's some things that you can do with the FDA to, um, I guess, remove some fees or take some fees out of the equation because you're operating on such a small level. Um, and then, you know, there's different spaces that you can operate out of commissary kitchens, um, community kitchens, you know, if a restaurant is willing, you can operate out of their space as well. Um, but that's a fee to take into consideration with the whole endeavor. Like with a commissary kitchen, you could easily be paying up to, you know, a minimum of $300 per month just to like mm. rent the space, you know, yeah. and then like an hourly, depending on how frequently you're using it. I was blessed to be able to be working with a Groundswell, and um, they let me use their kitchen in their off hours. Um, yeah. For cottage food making, do you have to operate out of a separate kitchen besides your house? Or can you still like be in your own home right, making food and selling it? You can absolutely be in your own home. Um, I think that's the main draw for a lot of cottage food producers. Um, a lot of folks that I know who are in cottage food have a day job um, and you know they do cottage food as something uh, for fun or to make some extra money um, and they balance those two things but yeah I mean I guess you know just in like somebody with uh, rage cakes you know uh, who also pops up at the plant-based pop-up market. She has a day job. Um, she works with kids, and um, she does an incredible job with um, her cottage food business. Yeah. Rage Cakes is a, organiz a business mm. of a woman who makes uh, vegan pastries. Yes. And you interviewed her recently at a pop-up shop um, where first, how how do you like get into a pop up shop? Like, is, is it relationship building? Do you have to know somebody? Like, yeah, it's, yeah, I mean, it's a lot of both. Okay. You know, like I am trying to remember how I got involved with the plant based pop up market. Um, I guess it goes back to my time at Eureka Compass, um, just in a very estranged way. You know, um, I met all of these people through my experience there. And I think a couple folks involved or who were sort of peripheral to Eureka Compass, they were talking about starting this market, um, this pop-up market at a space over off of Broadway in 94, just like an empty building 
um, sort of warehouse vibe to it. Um, and the first time I went there, it was like, looked like it was under construction and all the floors mm-hmm. were dirty, you know, it was just literally an empty warehouse. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I mean, uh, that's where the different, I guess, connections of everybody involved came in, you know, they were looking for different food vendors, but then also like, you know, different artisans, like jewelry makers, there's a paper maker there now, um, artists of many different sorts, there's often live music at the events, um, so all these different uh, people who are um, more often than not vegan, because that's the community, um, just came together and we started doing this event um, at the tail end of uh, 2020, um, very late December, and um, it just became a bi-weekly thing. And uh, now we're at Moxie downtown Minneapolis and just really popping up wherever else we can, yeah. How often are you all at Moxie? Uh, so we had our first, uh, with the interview with Rage Cakes, uh, that was the first time there. Okay. Yeah. Um, but we'll be there bi-weekly, I believe. There are some other opportunities coming up, like at, um, they were at the Annex. Um, yeah, what is today? Today is the Saturday the 26th. Oh, they're at the Annex today. Oh, yeah. great. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, there's a couple folks attending the uh, downtown farmer's market and sort of like, you know, branching out, getting out there yeah. and roping in other folks. So there's that networking component coming into play. Um, but then now, I guess with... Um, my schedule and everything, um, I can pop up on the weekdays. I don't have a day job. Um, you know, this is my day job. Um, so I'll reach out to folks. Uh, this is where my wholesale license came into play. And, um, I guess, you know, just approaching different spaces, asking them if they want to purchase my things, you know, if they're, if they've already got a steady partnership with another baker or a bakery, then, um, I'll ask if I can pop up there Mm. and more often than not, people are like, yes, please come in. Uh, we have downtime or we have a space and, um, I guess just coming out of COVID, that's something that they're very excited about, you know, just having these events that people can attend. That's great. So it's kind of a lot of like in-person cold calling, like yes. showing up and yeah. saying, hey, I've got this product. Mm-hmm. Would you like to sell it at your, your space? Yeah. And in those situations, do you give a portion of the proceeds to the location or is it just based on every single place is different? Every single place is definitely different. Um, with different marketplaces there are depending on the location there can be fees like uh, with our with the plant-based pop-up market um when we were at broadway in 94 um the building owner requested a you know rental fee um which makes sense um our lucky break with moxie downtown is they're not asking for a rental fee which is a really great deal um so now we're still paying a 
reduced amount, but that's going to a pool that will just generally help out the vendors. And, you know, if somebody comes across a connection that um, would be able to mentor by way of better social media or um, administering like a serve safe exam or a class rather, um, just to uh, serve safe is the um, means by which somebody can learn like what is and isn't okay in a kitchen, you know, so just like general like sanitary, um, general practices, um, but sort of like a, you know, we're operating as like a collective, you know, yeah. But then other places like um, without the different coffee shops, they just, they're like, come in, do your thing get a coffee, you know, <laughs> just hang out. Hang out. Yeah. Nice. yeah, I suppose after COVID, people just want people in their right. spaces. And the more people, the more traffic, the better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. We do have the interview that Zachary uh, did with Rage Cakes from the pop-up shop in Moxie. Uh, I think that was two weeks ago or uh, Yes, yeah, okay. yeah. Um, anything you want to say about the interview before we play it? Enjoy. <laughs> well, my name's Rachel, and my business is Rach Cakes, or Rach Cakes Vegan Baking. And I started it in, technically, like I started advertising for it in 2018, but I got my license in 2019, and then I started doing pop-ups. Um, and yeah, I've been doing it ever since. So how did you get started? You said you started advertising for it, so there was some preemptive actions you were taking um who inspired you to get started and did you know um did you know anything about the industry before you got involved cottage food business was introduced to me by my friend she was doing some kind of food bit something um oh selling juices that's what she was doing and she told me that I could start baking out of my kitchen with, with a cottage foods license and all I had to do was look it up and take a simple test and that's how it that happened. But Rach Cakes was inspired by quite a few people. Yeah, of course. Uh, so quite a few people, do you mean like uh, local folks, folks you saw on the internet or? Well... It started way before I was even vegan, and I wanted to just have my own bakery called Rage Cakes. But um, in 2018, I went to Rooster Redemption in Center City, Minnesota, and the people who run that and the people who brought me there really like sparked like just this this mission, I guess. And so Rage Cakes really started with me trying to raise money for um, the vegan community and just animal sanctuaries and that's how it started and then it kept going from there so (laughs) yeah so I think that's at that point in time you were getting involved with Eureka Compass right yeah (laughs) that's really cool I I didn't know that that that's how those things came together Um, but were you doing pop-ups in other spaces or did you have like this idea or a concept of pop-ups in mind or were you just like moving forward with the whole mission of uh, supporting animal sanctuaries and things along those lines 
Well, I was asked to do pop-ups throughout 2019. Like, I know I was asked to do one at Eureka. Colin asked me. Uh, Jay Selby's asked me to do one. Um, I, my very first one was actually at Ethique Nouveau. And it just... Meeting them also was really cool in the Animal Rights Coalition. And just, like, how to get involved in this community that is so broad but also so tight-knit at the same time and it just kept going I don't know so were they inviting you into their spaces or were you approaching them and saying you know I'd like to do a pop-up here at first it was kind of a mix of both like Colin welcomed me anytime any day that I wanted to um like so that was really cool. Um, same with Ethique Nouveau. If I wanted to be there, I could just ask Ashley or anybody there, and they would let me be there. Um, it was a little different with the restaurants because we had to work on their schedules and stuff. But um, I did work with, like, the HB, and we talked about scheduling stuff. But, it like, it was really organic, and a lot of people just kept coming to me and other vegan businesses. We also collaborated and did pop-ups together and that was really fun and helped spread the word for both of us and yeah right right on um if you had to start over again would you go about doing things differently or do you think the way that you started was pretty lucrative um well for me I think what the way I did it was the right way because I don't know how else I would have done it I guess like I work a full-time job on top of Rach Cakes and I love my full-time job in the aspect like I love the kids I teach and so if I had to do it a different way and like if I had to give that up I would I don't think Rach Cakes would have been I wouldn't have been as happy with Rach Cakes as I am now so I don't know yeah uh so you mentioned working a full-time job were you at all hesitant to get involved with a side hustle while you were working? Yeah, because, I mean, now all I do is work. <laughs> like, Monday through Friday I'm teaching, and then nights I'm baking, and weekends I'm selling donuts or cookies or whatever you guys want. And every day I want to quit my full-time, or I want to quit Rach Cakes, but I still do it. <laughs> because I love it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow, that's... Yeah, no, I completely understand that. Um, wow, wow, wow. So, what would you recommend for uh, somebody who is up and coming, you know, they have a really great idea for uh, a baked good or, you know, um, you know, whatever it is that they're making, how would you recommend that they get started well if you're like me and you have no idea what you want to be when you grow up um, <laughs> then keep your day job until you like test it out and with the cottage foods it's really easy because you can get that license and then do pop-ups when you feel like it when you can work it out and have the time and just feel it from there and see where the demand is and yeah just keep rolling with it yeah yeah i appreciate that that's all i've got for the moment 
Uh, do you just want to plug your business one more time, your social media handles, name of your business, all that, and any you know special events or promotions you have coming up? Um, well, I'm Rach Cakes um, from Rach Cakes Vegan Baking. You can find me on Instagram or Facebook at rachcakes.mn, so Rach Cakes Minnesota. Um, but And you can always find me at the plant-based pop-up market that happens on Sundays. And in the future, if this gets out, you get before VegFest. You'll find me at VegFest, hopefully, and just around the Twin Cities. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. That was uh, food entrepreneur Zachary Hurdle interviewing uh, Rachel from Rach Cakes. Yes, yeah, she has some very delicious vegan baked goods, very creative, um, incredible donuts or, mm. yeah, just cookies and a lot of different things. And she mentioned at the end Veg Fest. Yeah, Twin Cities Veg Fest. Um, that's in the fall. Um, a lot of vegan vendors coming together, I believe, on Harriet Island mm. in St. Paul. Um, I've never actually been, but I met the, um, I guess the founders of the event and I'm pretty excited to, I guess, go to it or be involved this year. Do you think you'll sell some of your food there? You know, I'm not sure. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's the, still in the works. <laughs> it's, um, it's a very high demand here, you know, very busy event. So I would have to, um, really get it together. To be there, yeah. Is there uh, like a website or resource that has a list of like all the a bunch of cottage food producers or pop up shops? You know, it depends on where you are. Um, in Minnesota, if you go to the Department of Agriculture's website, buried deep within that infrastructure, there's a somewhat of a list. You know, it's basically like an Excel spreadsheet mm -hmm. with some very basic information but it's not descriptive of um you know who they are what they're selling where they sell it where you can buy it um it's very bare bones um but i've been working on a resource called switchboard shop um switchboard.shop that is working towards um making cottage food producers and other hyper local good services and resources more accessible in the communities that they're in um and that yeah they i also list um local events there on a neighborhood by neighborhood basis and i'm just steadily combing through all of the cottage food producer data and listing it on the site that's great if if people are cottage food producers and want their food like listed on your site is there a good way for them to get a hold of you to do that yeah if you just go to switchboard.shop um and you're a vendor select i'm a vendor and fill out the form i'll receive that uh plug in all the information i'm working on automating a lot of these processes um and then once you're listed you're you're there you know, let me know which neighborhood you're in. Um, there's also a forum where you can register for different events that are going on. Um, so also on the front page, there's a 
spot for event hosts who can register their events um and yeah just working on getting those things uh uh working together so that vendors and event hosts can be easily connected and go to events and just make the process easier for you know being a cottage food producer and finding things that's great yeah i I know like it's hard to it's hard to find cottage food unless you know of a person that makes it or like you stumble upon it at a coffee shop it's ridiculous i mean um the thing for me the real the i guess looking at an app like bite squad or doordash or uber eats or any of these really popular food apps um they focus on i mentioned that spectrum earlier of you know there's cottage food on one end mobile food vendors restaurants wholesalers on the other end they focus on the other end you know there is within the cottage food space not very many resources that aggregate you know these micro businesses on a on an accessible level and if they do um like i was recently told about something in the state of ohio that aggregates um cottage food producers i couldn't find it but the main thing for me was like who if they're looking for like pickles or dessert items or like baked goods who's thinking of the department of agriculture when they are like hungry it's like who (laughs) (laughs) it's not very like consumer friendly i think yeah yeah and i think you know like bigger restaurants have you know more resources to put towards marketing themselves Mm -hmm. um so that switchboard dot shop dot shop is yeah i'm i'm definitely going to go there um now you, you you mentioned that you know these things aren't necessarily accessible cottage food isn't necessarily accessible because it's not known in in certain neighborhoods are there um businesses in like midway and frogtown that you frequent that are really um work with cottage food providers um not that i can think of offhand i mean the closest example that I could think of would be, you know, seeing it's not within cottage food, but generally uh, in like artisanal production, you know, small micro businesses. Um, so at, like coffee shops, um, you'll see like jewelry or, you know, um, little tchotchkes or um, other little things that people can purchase while they're waiting in line or just, you know, it sort of adds like an aesthetic vibe to the coffee shop too. Um, but most of the, I mean, I've heard about just in like some podcasts that I listen to, um, about some cottage food producers in other states securing just these ridiculous contracts with like stadiums you know and um you know vending for like football games or Uh something um do they have to get a wholesale license to do it like on that scale that's the thing they were talking about in this podcast in the context of cottage food and they didn't mention wholesale at all so um different states have very different rules and regulations but 
generally speaking, Minnesota is very friendly for cottage food producers, yeah. And you mentioned that you, like, really got, um, I guess, your footing maybe in cottage food producing at, at with, through uh, Eureka. Mm. Um, what What is Eureka? <laughs> oh, Eureka Compass Vegan Food. Um, well, I got, as you said, my footing there. Um, I came back from Hong Kong at the tail end of 2019, and I was very inspired to start making some food moves. I mean, I, I was doing, I was doing things before, but more so now or then. I was like, you know, let's get it going. Um, so I visited a few different spaces in the neighborhood um, because I wanted them to be close by and was asking about um, just popping up there, you know, doing my thing there, uh, using their kitchen. A lot of spaces had fees associated with them. Um, I wasn't really trying to pay much. Um, eventually, I found my way to um, Eureka Compass Vegan Food in the Hamlin Midway neighborhood, not very far from me. And Colin, the owner, was like, do your thing, you know, come on in here. Um, and I think he let me pop up for free for quite some time, which was just really incredible. The only stipulation being it has to be vegan because, mm -hmm. you know, it's a vegan kitchen. Um, so he would let me be there um, when he wasn't there. Um, and eventually uh, we or some other chefs came in we eventually became the Twin Cities Vegan Chef Collective, and it's just been a really, like, um, incredible location, you know, just to be at, and uh, the people there are really, just really awesome people. But... Um, Do you use the kitchen there as well as sell out of there? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, the kitchen is kind of, like, it was, um, it was a former pizza shop, and they had two pizza ovens, no like stovetop or anything <laughs> some coolers uh and all that um so you had to be creative if you were cooking there um and you know i sort of diversified my um the materials that i would have on hand like i got a couple fryers um with which I did a vegan fish and chips. Mm. Um, so it was banana blossom, which is just the like kind of like artichoke like, um, less flavorful, but very ready for like a brine or, you know, um, just ready to absorb any flavors. Um, or, I mean, I guess the fryer was the main one. I got like a mobile. Um, not stovetop, but something like it, you know, just to have, um, to like saute anything mm -hmm. if I needed to. Um, but yeah, I started out doing some baked goods because, you know, what else do you do with an oven? Mm -hmm. Right. Um, then I started branching out some more, trying some things out and just, I can't even, I mean, Colin, the owner, he, his, whole thing is you know he never repeats a recipe oh. and he, he really doesn't it's always um something new and the purpose behind that uh 
or one of the driving forces is sustainability, you know, using what's on hand. Um, and one of the, uh, I guess, participants in the Twin Cities Vegan Chef Collective, John, he is really about, uh, he is in that mentality as well, just of like, he names all of his dishes, like different, not like conventional names, like uh, Juicy Lucy or whatever, that's not conventional, but um, just like long phrases or something. (laughs) (laughs) And one that stuck with me is um, use it up. You know, that's just been resonating in my head ever since I saw it. And like he's like when I approached him about it, he, you know, talked about it a bit. Um, But, you know, really just that idea of like you have this thing in your fridge, you know, you have these veggies, um, use them, Mm -hmm. you know, make them into a sauce, you know, um, stuff them into, you know, whatever baked good, Um, make something you've never made before. And, um, yeah, so Eureka Compass isn't there anymore. It's a new space now. Um, Colin, the owner, has been working on starting or opening up the country's largest vegan grocery store. Oh, wow, cool. Yeah, just um, really intense undertaking. Um, but he's been running different campaigns for that. And just pursuing it um very intensely and actually very recently his um most recent uh crowdfunding campaign went live through silicon prairie which is just to raise enough to open up the shop or the grocery store how what is there a a website people can go to to find out how to donate to this crowdfunding campaign yeah, I, um, this campaign can be found specifically at eureka.sppx.io or um, if you go to eurekacompassveganfood.com, I imagine you can find any and all information you would need there and other information about Colin and that endeavor as well. That's very, very cool. Is the uh, grocery store going to be in the Twin Cities or do you know where they're planning on having it? His original intent was, and I mean it still is, um, in the Hamlin Midway neighborhood, not far from the original Eureka Compass location. Um, Since securing this spot, um, or the spot that he previously secured, he um, realized he needed more space. Ah. So, you know, just looking for another spot that's in the area and suitable for... Um, everything that he right right I mean (laughs) and there's so many people involved you know a lot of like he's worked with um, I mean Eureka Compass it wasn't just a kitchen or like a tiny restaurant or anything I mean it was a small space but it was a vegan bodega Um, so he would source a lot of goods from vegan producers locally um, and stock their products and you know support them and it was a just really great space that's great oh i wish them luck awesome where do you get your uh ingredients from do you have a certain grocery store you go to or farmer's market or is it a variety of things i swear by dragon star oh yeah (laughs) um i really love dragon star 
Uh, I also really love the uh, Mungtown Farmers Market mm. or Mungtown Market. Uh, they have a lot of great produce. Um, yeah, I mean those those are the two primary spaces. Uh, fresh time sometimes. Mm. It's a bit in the other direction, but as I've been doing wholesale and networking with different locations that might be interested in my products, um, I found that's a really great place to go to. Um, sometimes the um, St. Paul Farmers Market, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, mainly Dragon Star and the Mungtown Market. Is there an ingredient that you're like? always getting that you're just on the lookout for or is th- what's your like staple item um i would say if i'm at dragon star it's u troy um what is that <laughs> i was introduced to it at tori ramen it was a staple in every single bowl of ramen it's akin to bok choy but it has a thinner stem and a more buttery aftertaste. Mm. It's very delicious. We would blanch it, both the stem and the leaves, and put them into our bowls. And I found that it's really great for anything. Mm. You know, I'll put it in my salads now. I'll put it in, you know, whatever. I'll just, no matter what I'm shopping for, I'm like, oh, do I, do I have some Utoy? I'll, I'll just get some, you know. Um, but yeah, Yuchoi, scallions, green onions um, are a must. And sparkling water. I love sparkling oh, really? water. Yeah, like, fresh time has, you know. Do you get a flavor? Or? No, just no, plain just sparkling plain water, water, yeah. Oh, well, yeah. that you're drinking right now, yeah. Yeah, no, it's very refreshing. Nice. <laughs> Um, I know that, you know, Tori Ramen used to be on Selby and Victoria, and mm-hmm. then they moved to the old... Chris and Rob's with like the old train car on uh, yeah. West Seventh. Are they open yet? Do you know? At that location, I think so. I'm not sure. I know that they're definitely open at. So they moved and they expanded. So there's two locations: um, the old train car, like you said, mm-hmm. and then also over in North Minneapolis at the old. Victory Forty Four building. Oh, yeah. Nice. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So. And I miss Tori Ramen. Ah, so good. It was it was a staple. I yes. swear. Yeah. Yes. Do you have any uh, pop ups that you're doing that that are coming up? Yeah. So I am working on. Um, I guess the whole goal for me was to get my wholesale license, um, and. With that, to be able to focus on doing more events, finding spaces where cottage food producers could pop up. Um, So I'm working on a few different locations, but right now I'm at Yellowbird Coffee Bar on Wednesday from noon to four. And And that's over on Selby, right? Yeah, that's... um, yeah, on Selby, I'm not sure of the cross street, but it's across from Pizza Luce. Um, otherwise, I'm at the plant-based pop-up market. And where else am I? I was at Cahoots a couple weeks ago for Selby Fest. 
Are you, what is it that you're selling at these places? It depends on the location, you know, um, but primarily my baked goods. Um, so I have the miso banana bread, lemon coconut bread, and mango cardamom right now. Um, at Yellowbird, I just started serving sushi. So I do uh, smoked watermelon and smoked and fermented cantaloupe mm -hmm. sushi. Um, and then actually coming up in about a month, I'll be at V-Fest, which is um, around the Arts Us building. Um, and I was just invited there to do a sushi demo. So I'll be serving uh, a couple of my sushis and a uh, little salad to go along with it um, as samples, yeah. Great. That's awesome. And I'm very excited for you for uh, many reasons. Um, now that you're, you're like making a living out of um, making cottage food is very exciting. And it's really inspiring to other people out there who want to do this as well. And you also will be here on Frogtown Radio having your very own radio show. Yes, that's right. Um, radio Cottage Core is uh, what it will be. And um, I'm particularly interested in Cottage Core as a concept. Um, I mean, generally, what it is is I guess there's a subreddit called Cottagecore or something like that, but its tagline is your grandma but hip, <laughs> you know, so it's like all of these um, different things that, you know, your grandma might do, like baking or knitting or handcrafted things, um, but it's cool now, you know, so you see, like with the, um, I mean, I'm approaching it from the lens of food primarily because that's what I'm working within, that's what switchboard.shop is about, but um, at these pop-ups and marketplaces and, you know, in different spaces, like at coffee shops, there's a wide variety of people who are involved um, in many different ways. Um, paper makers, you know, knitters, bakers, again. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I'm, I assume that the, the food, that the, the cottage food makers are making are a lot healthier than, like, what... Our grandmas would make like there's probably not as much like yes. lard and butter and right. bad things i mean especially at the plant-based pop-up market yeah. you know yeah yeah well great zachary I'm, I'm so glad you're able to come on to today's show um and switchboard.shop is the yes. website to go to to find all the, the cottage food providers and, and pop-up shops so so please check that out thanks again zachary thank you Welcome back. This is We From The Future, and we just heard from Zachary Hurdle, food entrepreneur. It's interesting because I actually had some of Zachary's banana bread. It was miso banana bread. And I know that that may not sound like it is the most pleasant dessert, but I promise you it was delectable. It was delicious. And I highly recommend that you follow Zachary at foodby.zachary on Instagram if you want to catch him at a pop-up shop or see what he is up to. But in the meantime, we thank you for tuning in to another episode on We Form the Future. You can find us at www.weformthefuture.com. <laughs>